Welcome to The Vanderpoint. Please join your hosts, Jessica Vanderkoy and Rachel Pointer, as they challenge each other and have critical conversations about disrupting and dismantling the systems that fuel human trafficking. Jessica, what are some of the other terms that really like your blood boiling when we're talking about trafficking and exploitation? Um, I think that the two that really um, I consistently correct other people and very intentional with my language are Johns and Pimps. I can't stand that. I feel like it it provides like a cute and um, name of someone who is sexually assaulting, raping purchasing owning another person mm-hmm. which I think it um, when we use it especially when we're teaching when we're having these conversations when we're creating laws when we're talking about accountability it distances us from it distances us from the that this is a human being hurting another human being mm-hmm. it's almost like a you know like a cutesy name right and so those bother me a lot I think the the other one that that people I hear a lot is when we talk about victims Victims as recruiters. I know you and I have had long conversations, um, and I would always say nine times out of ten, someone who is a victim of trafficking is going to be required to recruit. And you always say it's ten out of ten. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> to this uh, day, I've never met one person who wasn't. Yeah. Well, and it's part of it's part of surviving in that system, right? So. Um, People will bring this up when we do trainings where they're like, you know, well, you, you know, like people have choices. And I always say people have a choice. If you have a choice to jump out of a second story window or a second story door, is it a choice? Right. I mean, it's, sure. It's, it's a choice, but a choice of what? It's right. the same outcome. Right. You're going to fall. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> second story door, second story window. Um, and so that bothers me because, again, I think we are a system that's eager to, quote unquote, hold people accountable. Unfortunately, we don't consistently hold the demand accountable, right? That we don't have legislation that's aggressive there. We've been slow to the game to even have those kinds of conversations. Mm. States that are actually doing intervention and work in this. But nobody's going in and teaching second graders, boys, about relationships. Like, we aren't starting that. No one's doing that. And so I don't like it because it immediately writes off a system in helping that human heal and rebuild their life, um, understand what's happened to them, build different kinds of relationships, develop a new understanding of how relationships work, Mm -hmm. which is all part of the work when you're serving people who've experienced trafficking. So that term to me, I think is a convenience. It's a convenience of the system Yeah. um, Yeah. to be able to say, oh, well, you know, she was recruiting in this situation. So we're going to we're going to write off intervention we're going to write off relationship we're going to write off listening to her story understanding what happened so i think those are the two that i hear a lot that i think we just need to hold systems accountable for using them and uh take them out of our uh, our repertoire within anti-trafficking work period right right i agree i think the uh, the whole victims as recruiters situation like gets under my skin for lots of reasons Um, But one of them is like when we use that terminology, when we use that phraseology, we have said to someone who had no actual choice in the matter, Mm -hmm. you are the criminal. Mm -hmm. So not only are we going to write them off, they're going to write themselves off. Yeah. And, And 
as you know, because we've had lots of conversations around this, but we hold more than one identity at a time. Mm-hmm. All of us do. Yeah. We hold one, more than one perspective and more than one worldview at a time. And for those who have experienced trafficking and exploitation, lots of other folks as well, but there's this mindset that comes in to play here that if you think I am the criminal here, I'm going to act like one. Mm-hmm. And then you feel justified, you as the system feel justified in treating me as the criminal. But it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost because, well, not self-fulfilling, system-fulfilling prophecy. Well, it's just, it's a survivor <laughs> identity. It's an yeah. identity um, that... How you make it through... Right. Yeah. And so it's a, um, we all have them. We develop Mm -hmm. coping strategies. We develop worldviews. We develop behaviors. We develop uh, thought processes, core beliefs about who we are to, to respond to our environment. And for some of us, it's for survival. Yeah. And it it is no different in this, in this circumstance and the reworking of it. uh, It takes, takes a lot of, a lot of support. Um, a lot of courage and the piece that I think that comes up the most when one um, that I heard when working with survivors was that shame piece associated with it mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I did something that ended up potentially causing someone else to be hurt that uh, too much ownership in this. And yeah. I did it to stay alive. I did it to be. Um, well, and in some instances, we do it because we think you'll be safer, that it's it's safer with this person or in this scenario than it would be out there dealing with God only knows who, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we we call you into this space as a measure of protection for you. So we're not necessarily thinking about it sometimes, not actually thinking about it in terms of like, you know, I got to, I got to have, no, it's not like a Ponzi scheme. Like I have to have so many, so right. many people, you know, that I pull into this in order to be good, right? It, it's like there's strength in numbers, there's safety in numbers sometimes. Yeah. And also like I know if I behave this way, then this is what's going to happen in this situation where you might be out there doing something else and you don't know if you yeah. do X, Y is going to happen. And so you'll be safer if you're here with me as mm-hmm. opposed to out there by yourself or out there with someone else. Yeah. Uh, so like both of those things are at play, but we also know like it's not safe in either space. Right. And it's not, there's no protection really in either space. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conflicting truths in this, you know. We see um, this is often a hard thing for professionals and, and law enforcement to understand in you know, um, when we look at, you know, why people, quote unquote, just won't leave mm-hmm. or why, you know, if there's choice in the matter, you know, walk out the front door right. um, and, well, and unwilling. Right. Yeah. And I know I worked with survivors who um, and this was actually actually said, um, you know, by a person in, in, in a lot of power was. If you keep having contact with him, how am I supposed to convince a jury you're afraid? Well, the reality was many of the people we worked with were actually safer when they could see the person, mm-hmm. when they had contact, when they weren't pissed that someone wasn't picking up the phone. Yep. What an awful decision to have to make. Mm-hmm. That having you closer, hearing your thoughts and the words that come out of your mouth, not having you pissed off that I won't respond to your text messages, 
actually feel safer yeah. than being in a safe shelter, than being back home, mm-hmm. than being in my own apartment, you know? Mm-hmm. And what an, what an awful, awful choice to have to make um, for survival. Yeah. Statistically, we know who's being victimized. Statistically, we know that. Statistically, we know who is a part of that equation of victimization, right? We know the demand part. Mm -hmm. So what are we doing about that? Mm -hmm. We have to, we have to at some point go upstream. Yeah. And I, um, that's hard work. Absolutely. It's also hard work to sit in that space wanting to go upstream as you and I have. And then, um, you know, so it's hard work for two reasons. One, we have to be really honest about shitty systems, things that don't work, um, mm-hmm. things that we have to be honest about, structures in place that are really there to hold up certain people in power, right? And we've got to, so it's a bold thing, but it is also, you know, an exhausting thing to challenge when you're sitting in a structure that is interested in maintaining that structure, yeah. right? Yeah. So you and I have, I mean, that was part of the foundation of, of building this conversation mm-hmm. in this podcast was because um, that's where we wanted to go. And I think at, at times we felt like we had outgrown the systems we were in. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, the systems couldn't move as fast as we wanted to move because we can identify, you know, a lot of these problems, but in reality, weren't the people necessarily in power and control. Yeah. Um, there's, I remember a story, um, which I think kind of shows a piece of this. So there was, uh, we were on the human trafficking task force and there was an, a person or I'll say an entity, um, with lots of power and, um, who got to choose, um, when and how and if cases were prosecuted. There was discussion that, uh, that the look of the victim actually played a part, right? Mm-hmm. So the victim was actually played a part, whether or not a jury of your peers would believe that the person who was being prosecuted, if they looked a certain way, mm-hmm. would believe that that was possible. Yep. So to me, like that kind of gives that context a bit on, we don't want to look at the white banker guy and think that he would be purchasing sex from a victim that I'm, I'm assuming it's in the assessment of this entity is whether or not they're attractive, whether or not they're someone want to have sex with them. Cause I mean, I mean, how do you even come to that conclusion? Right. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. this person decides if these cases get prosecuted, but this was a conversation that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, it's not just happening here. It's happening in all county attorney's offices. It's happening in all attorney general offices yes. across this country. Yeah. Um, the idea of the, the perfect victim for the crime, right? That you have to, if a person looks a specific way, shows up with specific mannerisms, is believable, appears trustworthy, like that's, that's all part of that decision mm-hmm. on whether or not to pursue anything. Right. Well, and I know we are here to talk about the crime of, of, of trafficking, but we see this in our child welfare system. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. see this in law enforcement. We see this in where resources are spent in looking for people and solving crimes. Yep. Um, 
It shows you know, up everywhere. So I think, you know, for me, this conversation is important to the to have with the listeners because it's all interconnected. We can't begin to solve this crime without seeing it and understanding it as more than a pattern. It's a structure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that in order to um, care about this issue and decide we want to do this different, you cannot forget or um, have a different opinion about those other systems. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's, it's a thread that's pulled all the way through. Yeah. Thank you for witnessing today's conversation on The Vanderpoint. Jessica and Rachel hope you will join them next time as they continue engaging in this critical work.